someone has already done and is already doing what you want to do. And no, they didn't fall into a rich family to do so. They were not born lucky. You know you can be more. You can have more. Do more. And be more. You know this. You wouldn't be listening otherwise. Hey, you guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Millennial Market Talk. I am your host, Mark Jones, and this is a show where we empower, inspire, we don't entitle. Um, Today, I'm joined by a friend, Jade Flores. Jade, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing very well. So before we get into what you do, who you are, where you came from, where you're going, all that jazz, um, I want to do a little bit of trivia. Okay. So this trivia that we do... Um, is intended to loosen up, things of that nature, but this one's a little bit um, different, so to speak. Okay. Okay? It should be fun. Okay. There's only five <laughs> questions instead of ten. Okay, hopefully I get it right. <laughs> Here we go. So the first question, what is the national average months of reserves that millennials currently have in the bank? Oh, geez. And I'm, I'm going to, it's multiple choice. Okay, okay. So A, none, B, Two months, C, five months. None. Okay. Surprise, surprise. Millennials have an average of five months in the bank. Really? I was super surprised as well. Okay. All right. So do you happen to know what the, let's say, investor professional uh, opinion of how much reserves you should have? The investor professional? Just anybody. Well, how much should someone have in reserves? To qualify for a mortgage loan? For anything. Oh. Well, in my opinion, six months. Perfect. That's, okay. that's, that's the average is what you should have is six months. Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. So number two, do millennials have more or less credit card debt than the previous generation? Hmm. I know millennials like to spend money, but then we also have those millennials that are kind of getting into like the small housing and the more economic type stuff. So true. true. We've got like two different types of millennials because it's such a range, right? So... Um, I'd say less. You are correct. Okay. And it's substantially less. Really? Um, the average millennial only carries one and a half credit cards. Oh, that's believe great. Believe it or not. All right. Well, cheers yeah, to us, millennials. I thought the same thing. Um, so let's move on. And trust me, I did not intend for you to get any of these correct. Oh, okay. Well, I then, you know what? We're I already off to a good start. Yeah, see, I didn't. So no biggie. <laughs> so number three, what percentage of millennials actually bank online and have never been into the financial institution? I'd say 90%. On the money. Bank online? 90% on the money. Oh, I got it right. You got that. Oh, it's great. Way right. Wow. And that is correct. (laughs) Um, Yeah, most millennials, uh, because of the mobile apps and Mm -hmm. the trust in putting their information, I mean, my dad still doesn't even bank online. (laughs) Well, you know what? I've noticed that, like, even for myself, when I'm pre-approving borrowers, Mm -hmm. Traditionally, if they're anywhere from the ages 20 to 35, 40 years old, they know how to get their statements online. But I've noticed that the older borrowers, um, they physically go in every single time in order to get them and they'll bring them into the office. You're exactly right. Yeah, that makes sense. You're exactly right. We we have the same thing happen on our end, but I coach the loan officers, do your best to educate them on how to do it because you would be surprised, especially like when Zoom came out, Mm -hmm. you teach an elderly couple how to use Zoom, and they're thankful for you forever because now they can Zoom with their uh, grandkids, things like that, and then they think they're hip too. I like that. I like (laughs) that. So number four, let's see here. What percentage of millennials, and this is multiple choice, 
What percentage of millennials are saving for retirement? Is it A, 70%, B, 20%, or C, 90%? I'd say, what was B? B was 20%. I'd say A, 70%. You, you are correct again. Dang, I'm you are so correct good again. At this. And, and I think what, without trying to convey it, you can see that millennials are a little bit better off than what people perceive them to be. Yes, I guess you know what? Right? It's true. It's true. So number five, the last and final, are millennials more likely or less likely to follow advice from a financial advisor? I'd say less likely. And that is correct. So I aced this test. (laughs) Yeah, you crushed the test. Um, And the stats on that are 41% of millennials take advice from their parents versus somebody that actually does this for a living. Makes sense. Strange, right? Whereas the previous generation was actually in reverse. Why do you think that is? Um, Ease of access. Essentially, uh, like the website that uh, I founded is reviewmymortgage.com, and it's intended to have millennials self-educate. Okay. So here's all the programs that you can potentially qualify for, all that jazz, and it's right there. I mean, everything is always at our fingertips, so we believe that if we're going to take advice, it's going to be from somebody that cares about us, that mm-hmm. that is in our best interest. When I, I don't know how I feel about that. Do you feel that it's because with the financial advisors that they have to go in, it's somebody that they don't know, and it takes them physically going in to go over stuff with? That, Maybe the perception that of that? That is definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want to say it has a little bit to do with the trust, definitely, um, but more so... I want to tell millennials out there, trust the financial person that does that for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, your parents, not that they are intending to give you bad advice. It's just the advice may be dated. Right. Um, so you've got to, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting both takes and then making your own educated decision moving forward. Agreed. You know? So, yeah. Well, you did really good on that. Uh that was great. I, I'm not going to lie. I'd <laughs> like to really say that I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised. I didn't do too well on my own quiz. Um, so let's get into you. Okay. Jade, who are you? Where'd you come from? Well, I came from my mother. Her name is Wendy Grace. OMG. Um, <laughs> my husband's name is Eric. Okay. So I'm married. We have three kids. Fantastic. I have three little girls, um, ages nine and under. So I've got a just turned five-year-old, a uh, six-year-old, and then I've got a nine-year-old. Okay. So they keep me incredibly busy. Um, I also manage Longhorn Investments. So I am the central... Uh, Texas division manager of that. Uh, and then I'm also an investor. So very I good. Flip home. Well, we're going to get into all of that. Okay. <laughs> so, you being the owner and manager of Longhorn Investments. So, I don't own it, I just manage it. You manage that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you have your own PL and all that good stuff, or how does that work on your end? So, I manage the Central Texas division. Okay. So, San Antonio, Austin, and Corpus are completely under me. And then I have my own branch here down here in San Antonio. Um, our office is located off of Brook Hollow. Very good. Okay, good. I learned something new today. Yeah. So in that aspect, what led you to this? I like to go all the way back so that we know who we're getting our advice from, who we're conversing with, um, to see if anybody relates to that. You know, you would be surprised at how many people have walked in your footsteps or similar and think that they're in a situation that they can't get out of. Yeah. So originally, before we got into real estate, I wanted to do law. Okay. 
Um, so when I was 17, I started working for law firms, um, and I thought that that was the route that I wanted to go. Um, I'm very type A, so I thrive in an environment that is um, books and studying and, sure. and tests and stuff like that, right? That's my personality. My husband's the opposite. He's he's type B, so he's very much of the creativeness of our um, of our business, and somehow it works together. So I wanted to go to law. Um, I wanted to be a defense attorney. Okay. Long story short, ended up in um, real estate administration and then took some time to stay home with the kids. Um, okay. We had one kid at the time. So did you, are you from San Antonio? Yes. Okay, very born good. Born and raised. So, um, so my husband worked for a real estate educator at the time. Um, and this was actually just a sales position. Okay. So that's how we got wind of real estate investing in general. We didn't very know good. too much about it. Um, but we started to pick up the pieces as we went, right? So um, long story short, uh, that sparked our interest in real estate investing, and we decided to hop in it. Okay. Face first, belly flop into the deep end. Okay. Um, so our first deal that we ever did was what we thought, half a million almost, ARV. Um, this was over in the Alamo Heights area. So I don't know if you're familiar, but oh, absolutely. I mean, the values are crazy. You All over go, the place. Absolutely. Yeah. You can go from one street to the next and one street will be, you know, 200,000. The next street will be half a million. Correct. Um, and it's all based upon school districts and, you know, the, the relativity to those schools. So we trusted people that we probably shouldn't have trusted. Okay. And we put our entire life savings into this, um, as well as some of my in-laws money as well. I see. Yeah. So you mentioned your in-laws. I, I, I want to, and I don't want to keep going back, but I want to give that full perspective. Growing up, what did your parents do? What 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 did your husband's parents do that um, instilled some things in you? I mean, did you go to college? Did he go to college? What's what's that stuff about? So neither of us went to college. Okay. So backtracking, um, I had a really rough relationship with my parents growing up. Okay. Um, I was out of the house by the time I was fifteen. Um, just kind of hopping from family to family. Okay. Um, got my own first apartment by the time I was 17, roommate with some friends. And I was on my own. Um, so I had a really rough growing up, a lot of uh, rebellion, a lot of just not getting along with my parents, not seeing eye to eye. So for the majority of my years from about probably about 12, 13 years old, pretty much all of my high school years okay. were spent... Um, just at heads with my family. Okay. Um, so left them when I was uh, 15, got now, my own Now let me ask 17. you, was that self-inflicted? Was it uh, uh, um, you didn't agree with what they were doing? They didn't agree with what you were doing? Because keep in mind, you're still a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like as I've gotten older and as I've become you a mom, kids. Yep. you gain a different perspective. Um now, I still, you know, things have changed so much with me and my family and my parents. Um, and their weight, honestly, I think both of us are very different now than before, sure, right? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, that's, the, that's the goal. Right. And so our relationship has grown tremendously. So I think it was a mixture of, you know, I'm very headstrong. Okay. I've always been very independent, very, um, this is how I see things, and you're not going to change my perspective on that. Okay. So I think it was a mixture of probably that as well as, you know, they, there's certain things that they probably could have done better growing up that as a parent, I may have done better. Um, so I think it was a mixture of those two and it just caused this. Makes sense. Okay. And, um, and, and it gives us a lot of perspective on 
how and who you are today. Right. I mean, your your foundation was created by you and so your true. hard work and decisions and failures and all of those things very early on is what I'm hearing. Right. So I learned very similar to myself, minus the fact that I didn't leave home, nothing like that. I mean, yeah. very, very true. Created a sense of independence for sure. So I've I've always been that way. Um, it also created this this idea of not being able to trust people, which I've had to overcome over the years, sure. especially in business and learning how to start. So delegation for me because of that and that sense of independence has been really hard. So I've had to learn how to overcome that over the years. So just very headstrong, very independent. Um, but that worked in my favor because I, I grew up a certain, I didn't have anything to fall back on. So if, if I failed, I didn't have a couch to go hang out on. That's right. It, it was, you know, you make it or you don't. And so it's almost like when you put yourself on, on a boat and you, you sail to the island, there's really no going back. You've got to, right. you either get there, you, you burn We've the, you burn the boat. Right. You, right. you just have to keep going. And so that's my mentality is, you know, there's an issue at hand. All right. You just got to keep going, got to figure it out. And so that's, um, I think those fundamentals of how I grew up, you know, even though they might've not been the most ideal way to grow up, they truly made me into who I am today. And I don't think that I would have, you know, been able to create companies or, or do any of, of what we've done right. to this point had that not happened. Well, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but number one, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying here. Um, but the most important thing is you put yourself out there in a position to have to make your own decisions, right. to have to survive, like right. you said. Um, and that being the case, um, what I find very common in most entrepreneurs is there is no backup plan. Right. I'm all in. Right. You know, and, you and have to failure be. definitely is. Uh, a lot of people say failure is not an option. No, no, no. It's a milestone because it's going to happen. <laughs> it is. And it teaches you, you know, failure and um, and going against things in life teach you how to be resilient. It teaches you how to figure out problems mm-hmm. and how to create solutions to those problems, which inevitably you you utilize when you're an entrepreneur. Every single, I call myself the fireman because I feel like I wake up every day just fighting fires. And it's there's just problem after problem after problem and things like that happen. But you have to have the mindset. And I think failure creates that. You can fail, but Unless you want to stay down forever, you have to figure out a solution to bring yourself back up. That's exactly right. So, you know, I, I left, did that thing. Um, back before my husband and I, before I met my husband, um, I was homeless for a while. You know, I that did cause me to go into a little bit of a party mode, right? Gotcha. So I think sure. everybody kind of goes through that. Yeah. Mine was just probably way more... Um, uh, what would you call you it? You went there. I really went, went there. there. No, absolutely. I mean, I went through my party phase as well, but I think the entrepreneur in me kicked in way sooner. So I was the guy on the other end selling the tickets and the bottles and whatnot, uh, having the good time. Okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's drunk. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's smart. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, you know, that's smart for your time. I, I didn't have that entrepreneur mindset back then. Gotcha. Again, very type A, mm-hmm. um, very uh, just by the books, right? Right. Yeah, which is funny if you think about it, because if that's my personality, but yet I was partying every day. Like, how is that by the books? It's not. Um, but that kind of caused me to spiral down. And so, you know, I, I, 
allowing myself or figuring out how to come up from that without anybody helping you up Mm -hmm. is huge. Absolutely. And so, you know, that failure in itself truly created the type of mindset that I have to this day. Now, do you think that being able to pick yourself up or learning that piece to the, to the overall equation in any situation is something that can be learned or is it something that's within you? No, I think it can be learned. I I do. Um, I think that you, I think anybody can have a mind shift at any time in their life. And I think it's all about perspective. And I think that as a, as a person, um, learning how to have a new perspective, it can change your entire life. And I don't think it's, that would be like saying, you know, only, you know, 70% of people have it, but I truly think everybody does. It's just a matter of how they view it and that perception that they have and that perspective that will allow you mentally to be able to get out of certain situations. Absolutely. And I I think, I mean, some can say mentors are the spark in it. Some may say that a situation occurs, Mm -hmm. that it sparks that in us. Um, And some may say that it's just somebody that is truly a friend, an unfiltered friend that says, hey, get your shit together. Yeah. Right. And then it's boom, you go. But you're correct as far as there's a saying that goes, um, change of pace, change of place could change your perspective. Absolutely. You and I, yeah, I, I think that could happen for anybody. For me, I think it was just being in such an ugly situation that you don't really have an option. You can either continue down the path or I made little changes. And sure. for me, it was just eating better. Okay. And, and it sounds so silly to think, how could something so simple change your whole life? But literally just changing a couple of things. And I think that one thing that people focus so hard on is is the big picture. Correct. But when you focus on one small thing that you can do just to make one change that can make tomorrow just a little bit better, it it sends this domino effect throughout your life. And then you're, that's how your perspective ends up changing, which allows you to change the path that you're on and ultimately dictate where you're going forward. So for me, it was just eating healthy and just changing. Life. And that was the one thing. The one thing. The one thing that created a ripple effect right. that you actually could notice daily. And then it inspired you to change something else. Mm-hmm. And then and it became like, working baby out. steps. Yeah. And like you said, people do tend to focus on the big picture when they should be thinking about it the same way they should eat an elephant. Right. And I say that all the time. One piece at a time. One at a time, you mm-hmm. know, absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah. So yeah. keeping that going, let's, let's talk about your flips. Let's talk about your first investment. I mean, you got into investments um, by way how? I mean, people don't just jump into, I'm going to be an investor. Yeah. You know, what? how did that, you met your husband. I would imagine that that came to play. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. So met him. Um, again, I was staying at home for a little bit. Um, I had done the law firm thing for quite some time. So okay. I took some time off to stay home with, we had one kid again at the time. He was working for the real estate um, educator. That's when the spark, again, it just takes a spark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we started looking more into it and we were like, hold on, we, you can make money this way. And mm-hmm. this was, you know, seven years ago plus. Okay. So the real estate market was really lucrative back then Sure. and you could find great deals. And so, um, you know, we had somebody that was supposed and to be mentoring. Low. Oh my goodness. You yes. said that and it triggered back. I mean, I've been a lender for, it'll be nine years now. So you're right. Oh, right yeah. in that little, uh, uh, peak of time. You're correct. It was great. <laughs> 
Well, not at the beginning, but it, once we figured it out, <laughs> we'll, once we we'll figured there. it out, it was great. <laughs> so uh, that's, you know, when the light bulb went off and we had somebody that was supposed to be mentoring us. And so, you know, they came to us and they were like, hey, I know you're interested in becoming a real estate investor. Um, I've got this great deal for you. It wasn't Montalongo or something like that, was oh. it? Oh, Yes. No way. Yes. Okay. I, I'm so much more <laughs> interested now. So guys, I, I also want to say this. Um, I have been super excited about this uh, uh, discussion for quite some time and not to put pressure, but I'm just telling you, I'm, I am excited about it because my wife and I are doing some flips. We are, we, we have been doing the um, property management for years and things of that nature, but now we're getting into some bigger risks and I want to see from your perspective. You're not only uh, doing it, you're living it. You're mm-hmm. succeeding at it. So, sorry. That was my little rabbit Side hole note, for the that's moment. Okay. Yep. We'll, keep that, we'll keep that in there. We'll go Tuck over that, that too. That away. <laughs> um, oh, I lost train. So, so Montalongo is not the one that brought us the deal. Okay, Montalongo is who we work for. Okay. So, um, guy brought us the deal. They're like, this is a great deal. And keep in mind, so I'm 22 years old at this point. So everything in my life started so young. You know, you leave the house by the time you're 15 and everything just, you know, you start so young. So 22 years old, um, I'm a baby. And, you know, when you're 22, you don't feel like you're a baby. But looking back in hindsight, like I was a baby. Matter of fact, most 22-year-olds, they know everything. Oh, I knew everything. That's right. And like, who trusted me with all this money? I don't know. So uh, got this deal. It was a great deal. Again, Alamo Heights District, what we thought it was, but it was actually MacArthur District. E. Yeah. So what she's talking about there is we have a, 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 a historical uh, district or area within San Antonio uh, in, in the inner city that is uh, almost like a, a marker for, um, I don't know, success and, and the old way of doing things here in San Antonio. That area has been very, very um, steady. Mm-hmm. And in regards to that, there have been properties that have gone by the wayside, but the land itself, which I always say, you can't build more land, still remains the same as far as value, which breeds opportunity. Yeah. And some of the homes over there, if you go into the actual Alamo Heights district, they're gorgeous. Right. You know, you've got mansions over there. And so uh, so we did the drive-by of the home and they took us through it and they were like, it was a two-story home. I'll show you the picture after this and maybe you can, I'll post it on my page. You guys can see, you know, what I actually did, what I thought I was doing. So the home was beautiful. It was two story, gorgeous. Um, We we did the drive by and they showed us the comps. Um, For those who don't know what that means, it's a comparable. So the homes in the area that sold for what we thought we were going to be able to resell this home for. Well, you know, apparently all the comps were for, uh, Alamo Heights, not MacArthur. And and for those listening, what separates the difference when you're looking at something like that? I mean, would it be the actual area or is it the school district? What is determining that value and the the close proximity to the other? And that's the hard part. So the, the biggest factor is the school district, mm-hmm. right? So you have MacArthur versus Alamo Heights school district, which is a huge indicator of, you know, which side of the fence your values are going to sure. be on. Um, and then also proximity, right? So it's just, you have to stay so far within your legal zone and you can't venture out of right. that. Right, then because then it changes the value. So much mm-hmm. by almost 50%. Wow. And so we thought that the value, the after repair value of the home was going to be 550000 Well, so we got into this thing. We spent about, 
you know, $50,000 on this deal. And we had issues with the contractors, just the whole shebang, just everything went south. And um, I was dealing with the hard money lender at this time. Okay, very good. And, and I was going to ask because yeah. most are going, wait a minute. She said she's 22. Where the hell did she get all this money? Right. So hard money lender. Very good. Um, very unique situation. So the hard money lender, I was dealing with them. Um, long story short, I'll save you the details, but they ended up taking the property back. Okay. We lost it all. Now, did it go back to the hard money lender? Yes. Okay, very good. Went back to the hard money lender. Um, but come to find out the value of the home. So we were in it for, again, this is a while back, so bear with me, but we were all in it for about $270,000, $280,000. Okay. It was only worth about three thirty. Gotcha. We thought it was worth five fifty. Gotcha. So, you know, wow. we thought we were making a massive payday on this. And, you know, you invest everything into it only to find out that it, you were just so wrong. Yeah, and filling up this balloon and just... yeah. Bah. And the advice that you were given was so wrong and just everything was so wrong. And so it was all gone. That was our nest egg. That was all the money. And then I remember we're trying to salvage the last part of the deal. And we got a tax return. This is when we still got money back from our tax returns. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I forgot. I think we got like. Uh, like six or seven thousand dollars, like for a twenty-two-year-old, that's huge, that's a right? A lot of money. We put all of it into the project, so even our last dime on our tax wow. return, done, gone. So we lost it all. So we lost the, our house. Um, our car was repoed. I had we had to get on food stamps. Gotcha. We, we didn't even have money for gas. We moved in with my in-laws in the upstairs of their uh, house. Literally, when I say like rock bottom. Sure complete rock bottom. And so that was really, really, really hard, especially on your marriage, mm-hmm. going through something like that. That is just, it It was probably the worst thing that you could possibly go through. I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And And to that point, which I'm sure we'll get to, but in my opinion, you truly can't reach your utmost successful point or your utmost potential to your successful point without reaching the utmost low of the bottoms. You don't know. You're, I think it's kind of a spectrum of I've had bad times, but yeah. are they really bad times? Because yeah. you know that it can go the opposite direction, like way higher, yeah. but you don't know it's possible until you know how bad you could have it. Right. And I think that And I feel like because of that situation, again, just like the situations in my past, right? Mm -hmm. All of these things that you go through in life, they, they're like, have you ever seen the movie? um, Is it the movie home where they have all the little guys inside that guy, that little girl's head. And every single time the memory was captured, it it goes into this little ball and it gets stored. No, but I'll send you that. It was a home. No, I feel like I really because I'm a move. That, that is my escape. I feel like I screwed that up. Um, subtle. I don't. I don't remember what it was called. But it, I think all of the things that you go through in life, sure. they get stored in your memory, and it ultimately uh, is like a domino effect, and mm-hmm. it controls how you um, ultimately respond to things in the future. So I think that, in combination with what I went through with the loss, made me into the investor I am today, and I'm a very conservative investor now. Mm-hmm. So we've never lost money since then. That's awesome. So we awesome. rock bottom, yeah. moved in with them. Husband got fired from this job. So now we are really Nothing. rock yeah. bottom, literally. And uh, so we had to figure out, what do we do now? Well, I mean, at that time, you could do what most do, which is give up. Right, right. I mean, the way that I look at it is flipping homes, investing homes, things of that nature. 
whether you win or lose, depending on your margin and what you win and how much you lose, I compare it to a college education. You yourself did not go to college. I myself, I went and never graduated. And what it does for me is it tells me that I have the ability to, um, goodness gracious, I lost my thought. That's okay. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll carry on. We'll, carry on. <laughs> we'll store that so, one for later there too. There you go. It'll come back to me in a moment. So at that point, we had to figure out mm. what the next step. Mm. Oh, you got it. Okay. Mm. I'll throw it I back it. to you. I got there it. You go. Thank you. So you could spend what? 50, 100 grand on a college education. True. Mm -hmm. And you get out. And what we're seeing these days is most that do that don't have much in the way of work experience. Right. So they're not able to pay these loans back, mm -hmm. things of that nature. Whereas you, School of Hard Knocks, yeah. went to flip a property. Let's say you lost everything. Call it 50, 100 grand at the time. What do you do at that point? Do you take that education and move forward and then apply it? Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes, let's say you flip a house and your first one, you lose 15 grand after completion, 20 grand after completion. You're way ahead of everybody else with all the student loans. The goal is, is do true. you take your toys and pack up and go home? Or do you go, all right, I lost 15 grand, but I learned this, this, and this. Let's go do it again and apply those things. Right. You know what? That's that's perspective right there because there many go. people don't think of it. No. Many people would sit down and say, woe is me, and I lost all this money, and I can't feed my family, and I'm going to give up on life that's right. and go back and work an hourly job. But again, perspective. It's all about how you view those failures that ultimately dictate how you're going to move forward and create you know, the next step in your life. Amen. So, um, and these are, again, these little balls of memories that just get stored. And one of them for me was working at the table. Um, and we were at this issue where, you know, we needed to figure out what to do. We didn't have money to pay for childcare. Um, we weren't going to make very much on him going and working a, an hourly wage job, no college degree. All he has is sales experience mm -hmm. and that's it, right? Trying to figure out what to do next. And so we made a decision we're looking back, we're just like, well, that was kind of risky, but we did it. So we decided to stay in real estate. There and so we decided, all right, we're going to figure this out and we're going to keep going and just make it work. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we built back up was through wholesaling. Okay. And so wholesaling um, does not require money. So again, the deals were crazy back then. I mean, you could find 65% deals anywhere. Absolutely. And yeah. so we were finding those and... Um, it, it took some time, though. Don't let me say that this happened overnight. Well, well, first off, from your perspective, explain what wholesaling is so that so that we have a perspective of what stages you took to get to where you are. Wholesaling, in short, is if you go um, myself, right? So if I were to go and I were to find an off-market, um, direct-to-seller, mm -hmm. discounted property, and then I go to an investor and I say, hey, Bob, I got this property. Um, I got it for 50 you can make a killing on this. Um, I'll sell you my equitable rights to this property for $5,000. And I, as the wholesaler, would make $5,000 for my time in locating this property and selling my equitable rights. Then Bob, as the investor, takes that flip over. That's perfect. Yeah. So, so essentially like a broker for a deal, but taking on the risk initially and passing it forward for a commission. Yes. Don't ever say broker, though, because you can get legally, Correct. legally Correct. in trouble for that. <laughs> Your equitable rights are being sold. I like that. So, 
Um, so we started with that and that took some time though, right? Trying to figure that out because that's not something that we were taught. It's something we had to figure out. Mm-hmm. And so that took, I want to say months, like months. And keep in mind, we're at our parent, my, his sure. parents' house, my in-law's house, living in their upstairs with the kid yeah. and just no money at all. Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure it out. <laughs> and so we had a coming to Jesus talk with his family one night. They sat us down at the kitchen table and they said, so what's up? You know, you need to figure something out. Y'all haven't made a dime. And they're like, you either need to get a job or you need to figure something out because you can't live here for free anymore. Yeah. And uh, Good for them. Good for them at absolutely. that time. At the time, His, you're probably like, damn it. But hey, good for them. His parents are phenomenal. I, I adore my husband's parents. Awesome. They are. We have an amazing relationship. And so they were completely justified in telling us this. And, you know, from a you know parent to a kid, I would probably say the same thing. Like, let's be realistic here. And his dad's military. Okay. So, you know, let's think logically. You haven't made a dime. It's been months. You're right. sitting on your bum. What are we going to do about this? Let's take the next step. Sure. And so we told them, just give us a little bit of time. I promise you this is going to work. Just trust us, please. And keep in mind, the trust if we're going to backtrack, we just flopped. And that was part of their money, too. So the trust was one more time already on thin ice. Like, they're like, really? Are you serious right now? Just trust us, please. And so sure enough, right after that, we ended up making our first wholesale deal. We made $3,000. Okay. And we were able to get back on our feet, get out of their house. And they said, just get on your feet first, pay us back later. And so we, we maintained that. We wholesaled and built back up our nest egg through wholesaling. Okay. And um, we made, my husband got a killer deal and we made uh, like 20 something thousand dollars on it. And we were able to give them their money back. That's and awesome. Pay Very them good. Off. And, um, and so that's how we we built back up our nest egg and got back on our feet to remain in real estate investing. And, and others have said this on this show, um, which is if you have a plan, if you have a work ethic and and an idea that you are passionate about, there are people out there that may invest in you. Yes. Um, You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You got to ask. Anywho, so in your wholesaling piece in the beginning, how are you guys finding the properties? Um, So our first deal that we got that we made 3000 was off of the MLS. Okay. I'm telling you, you could find them everywhere. As opposed to knocking on people's doors, right. looking at overdue taxes, things of that nature. We didn't know how to do any of that gotcha. back then. Okay, yeah. Uh, again, total newbies. Fresh, yeah. Total newbies. So the first deal we found, and I, you know, if anybody knew me back then, they probably thought, these deals suck because we had no idea what we were doing. But we finally found one. It's like when you stumble across one, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Oh, sure, you know? yeah. But anyway, yeah, we got off the MLS and we sold it. We made three grand off of it. And then after that, that's when we started learning a little bit more about um, knocking on sellers' doors and what to look for. And I would go and do that throughout the day too. (laughs) Bring the baby along. Hey, you want to sell your house? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, mailers. And that's when we found out about back taxes Mm -hmm. and foreclosures. So we built it up through there and then we did our first flip again. And, you know, it's um, that, that... I'm really glad that we did that because it's like overcoming, it's like overcoming trauma, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you just have to rip the that band-aid off. off and, my back now. Right. So we did our first one and it was a very small deal. Um, but we made, we made money on it. it. We completed it. Mm-hmm. And we, it was, you know, I think ARV on that thing was like 120, 130 grand. Um, 
Again, it's been so long, I don't remember, but it was small. We made money off of it, and then we just continued going. And more so making money, I have to go back to it, you learn. Right, You got another uh, 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 situation or an ex- uh, experience, mm-hmm. you know? Now, backtracking through this, um, that's when I also became a hard money lender. Okay. And, you know, you learn through your failures. I learned through dealing with the first hard money lender what I like and what I don't like. Okay. And I make sure that I give my borrowers a completely different type of experience than I received from the first hard money lender. So I went through that and I learned the ends. Had I not gone through that, I wouldn't, number one, I probably wouldn't even know what hard money lending is. To consider that. Yeah, sure. And then I would have never understood the intricate details that go into it because I was so far in the hole I had to learn everything I could about it yeah. to try and stop the bleeding. And so because I was forced to learn so much about it, that created, you know, it's so full circle. And then I became a hard money lender. Yeah, that makes sense. So from, you know, what I do, I pride myself on the fact that I try and educate investors and borrowers as much as humanly possible so that they don't make the same mistakes oh, I agree with that. that I made. I call it, I call it avoiding the landmines that I've already stepped on. Right. You know, if I, if honestly, if, if that were my deal and I were the lender, I would have told the old me as my borrower, I don't want you doing this deal. I would rather not make money than you go into this deal and lose everything because you could have seen that from miles away. But hindsight says, hindsight aren't you glad says, you did go through that because okay. you are where you are Absolutely. because of that. Yeah. Stepping stones. Yeah. Know? It's just totally, it's so crazy how everything happened. And so that, that truly made me the person I am today in, in the lending aspect, as well as being an investor. So very cool. Yeah. So moving forward with that, you started with the wholesale, I would imagine, built up enough equity cash to become mm-hmm. hard money. Um, what was the, was it risk and reward seeing the potential of how much margin we could make becoming the hard money lender? Was it, um, we have nowhere else to put the money because there's not as many wholesale properties to go? Where was the decision process on that and what made you leverage to that? And then from there, where did you go to? So I actually got recruited. So the hard money lending company, it's not my own money. It's Mike. So Mike is, he is, he's amazing. So he's the owner of Longhorn. Okay. So they recruited me, flew me up to Dallas, um, interviewed up there. This was almost six years ago. Okay. And um, I just started off as as just a baby little hard money lender, just a little rep. And... um, Throughout the years, I started getting more involved and growing. And now I'm the number one producer I have been for the past four and a half years for the entire company. (laughs) And so, you know, we got our own office down here and grew it that way. So the money is Mike's and he, as well as the other guys in the company, have also been huge mentors for me in growing and learning so much about everything. Absolutely. So the money that we made from wholesales, though, we did deploy that. And that's what we utilized for the flips. Love it. Very yeah. good. And like it says here, make money, make it make money again. Exactly. Repeat, you know? Exactly. Um, and, and for us, something that you had mentioned that regardless if you had the money or not, I'm going to say right now, use somebody else's money first. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing flips at the moment and I'm still using hard money uh, which we've calculated that in with our cost mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. But there's no point in tying up all of my funds 
um, to take a risk like this when I can utilize my funds for the repairs, all the other things, and still be able to jump on other opportunities. Well, it's leverage. And that's, that's what I tell everybody. Leverage. Like I could utilize my own money and just go buy everything cash, but I still leverage because, you know, one, it helps your return on investment. Absolutely. If I'm putting, you know, $6,000 into a deal versus putting $150,000 into a deal, I'm able to spend my money and multiply that into multiple properties versus putting all of the eggs into one basket. Like helps your return on investment, allows you to um, buy more deals, mm-hmm. right? And it reduces, you know, the risk involved as well. Absolutely. I mean, so. money sitting is just money sitting. Literally. I mean, if you look and you put your money in a, even a money market account, you're going to have such a low return. Not even keeping up with inflation. No. So get ready guys, get ready. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. So, you know, that's how we've done it. Um, and constantly just buying whatever we can that makes sense. And I, I will say I am more of a conservative investor now. Okay. So when I make moves, they're very calculated, but we've never lost money since that's happened. So when you look at a deal these days, um, and I would imagine you're doing a conglomerate of all of them at this point because you now have them all in your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. What is the minimum margin that you guys are looking at for a deal uh, in regards to, let's say, flip? And then after we, well, you know what? Let's talk about that first. So it depends. So I look at a couple of different things. I look at how much time is this going to take me? So if it's a $60,000 renovation and I'm going to have to spend a lot of time managing these contractors, Mm -hmm. then I want to make more money. If it's something that's going to be a $10,000 to $15,000 rehab and I can get it done in a weekend, then I'll buy 80, 90% deals because my time is, is calculated into that factor as well. So I look at location. I look at the amount of time that it's going to take me. Um, and then ultimately what that profit is going to be. And I look at that profit, the net profit based upon those numbers. And I figure out, okay, you know, this, this was done in a weekend, but I'm only going to make, you know, we'll say $10,000. Okay. All right. Well, let's call it a day, especially Not in this market idea. right yeah, now absolutely. you can sell. But if I'm going to be spending uh, time working on a $60,000 renovation, then I want to make way more. I, I So my time is equivalent and parallel to uh, the type of, of, um, loan to value or the type of percentage deals. Yeah, I mean, I'll call it your threshold based on the value of your time. Right, exactly. So that's how I look at mine. Okay. Some fun stats that uh, I actually wrote down. I can't without just off the cuff. The average margin for flippers is anywhere from 15 to 25% mm-hmm. in margin. Um, Texas actually sits at 25% yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, do you think that that is going to start decreasing substantially? Absolutely. So I'm seeing... so. Again, six, seven years ago, 65% of the after repair value. So there was a huge chunk of profit that you could obtain Absolutely. when purchasing investment properties. But um, I'm noticing that the norm right now is about 80%, which leaves the investors about 20% gross equity to be able to capture. Right. That's not including any cost, holding costs, taxes, anything like that. Correct. Um, now, we have a lot of out-of-state borrowers that are coming in and purchasing these properties, which drives the cost up, which reduces the amount of margins that investors are able to make on their deals. So that's definitely decreasing as we as we go sure. throughout time. So when that starts to take place, and this is more future tense or or planning, do you guys then start shifting your portfolio to a buy and hold? Yes. So right now I'm 
So we're doing a little bit of both right now. Um, I'm okay with the inflation simply for the fact that when I resell it on my flips, I can also inflate the cost. Perfect, yeah. So for me, it's kind of a wash. I may buy it at 90%, but by the time that I am done with my renovation and I resell it, it, the price is also inflated. So it kind of still gives me some meat on the bones. Now, once we hit a point where people can't afford that, mm-hmm. that's when we transition more into this. So the benefit of and being we're able close. We are. We we're are real close. Yeah. We are. So that's the benefit of being able to um, understand how to work multiple different exit strategies. And mm-hmm. an exit strategy is what you do with the property after it's fixed up. So once we do that, we'll transition more into the buy and hold portion of it. Um, what I'm doing right now is I'm selling off some of those buy and holds because I have so much equity because right. it's so inflated. Right. And I'm rolling it into a 1031 exchange so Very that good. it's tax deferred and then buying more. And with that, yeah, I can buy that leverage again. Right. I can buy 90% deals because, you know, my money was sitting in equity anyways. Instead of one rental property, I can now um, I can now release that into two or three. Sure, sure. So that's our strategy right now is selling off a little bit, doing some flips, capturing that inflation. Um, but once that stops and you can't ask, you know, $50,000 over, yeah. over because they can compensate for that in cash, we're going to do more of the buy and holds. And hopefully we'll see once that happens, hopefully we'll see a little bit of trickle down effect and hopefully that helps. As you should. Yeah. I mean, you should. And, and, and I'm an advocate for that. Um, but there is one thing that I, I wanted to go back to, which is essentially once you get to the point where these properties, uh, you're now having to hold them, have you guys considered becoming the bank? Uh, turning it around, owner finance, seller mm-hmm. carry type situation. Tell us about that because I'm an advocate for not worrying about the cash flow right now because that's a short-term kind of concept, whereas long-term, use the tenant's funds to pay down the principal of the property till it's paid off, shrink your terms to 15 years if you can, because somebody else is going to be paying that. You get the benefits of the tax write-offs, all that jazz. But once you become the bank, you get to then become the amortization calendar um, or schedule. So I'm so young that my long-term goal is to have properties paid off that I can hold forever, that I can pass down to my kids. Yeah. With owner finance, and and so we do do this. Let me preface by saying we have owner finance, seller carry deals. Um, They're not always my favorite. And the reason for that is that, I again, I want to be able to pass down a portfolio to my children. I have three little girls. I don't want them ever having to depend on anybody. I want them to be able to have their own assets as they grow up. Now, when you owner finance these deals, you lose possession of the property because Correct. somebody purchases it. And once that's paid off, the so does you know the benefit of owning that property as well, right? Or not of receiving payments for that property. So it's no Correct. longer your asset technically. It's you've sold it. Right. So I think everybody has different goals. My goal is to own the long-term portfolio. Gotcha. It helps me with tax benefits. Um, all of that I enjoy. Now I do utilize the owner finance strategy when I can't cash flow enough on a certain deal. Okay. So for instance, if I buy it and my PITI with a rental deal is going to be, we'll say $1,000. Okay. But say I'm only able to rent it out for maybe $1,200. 200 bucks a month is not going to cover, you know, a potential maintenance right. cost, anything like that, right? So for me, that would not be an advantageous rental deal. However... I could owner finance that and increase their um, 
increase the principal to be above Absolutely. what I owe, right? And then I could increase the amount of um, interest that they pay me. So then that $200 a month turns into five or $600 Correct. a month. So, and you get to then, and just so folks out there know, you get to become the bank. As mentioned before, you're making your mortgage payment, let's say 30 years, the first seven, eight years, most of it, and you check your mortgage statements and amortization, see how much is actually going towards principal and actually how much is going towards interest. Mm -hmm. You would be thoroughly surprised. Okay. I agree. So we do do those. Um, Sometimes we'll also do those by taking over the payments for the seller. So say the seller's underwater, meaning that um, they they're, what they owe is, is practically what they're at. Mm-hmm. So we'll take over their payments and then either rent it out or wrap that note as right. well. There you go. So every deal is so unique that you have to figure out which strategy is going to be able to be most profitable for you as the investor. Agree. Yeah. So owner finance deals, I like them. Um, the only issue that I have with owner finance deals is that there's some kind of, there's some things that you have to also consider, such as what if the tenant doesn't pay? You have to actually go through the foreclosure oh, process. Yeah, and we're in Texas, y'all. <laughs> yeah, so if it's their homestead, that can potentially be delayed, and that's much different than you evicting a tenant, right? Correct. So the process could be up to a year, mm-hmm. and you, you incur the holding costs as the investor for that time. So that's a little bit more risk involved, and that may have basically just ate into the profit you would have made by becoming the bank. Exactly. So it's important to vet out who it is that you own or finance to. But you also, people, you know, roll into situations. Look at COVID. You know, you sometimes unforeseen uh, circumstances happen to these people. Um, We'll get into that later. Yeah. And, you know, I have one owner finance uh, lady, COVID hit. I think she was self-employed. And um, so she is late every single month. Every... no doubt about it. But I have to make sure that the payments are made because ultimately um, that's my loan, right? That's right. That's right. So there's pros and then there's cons. So And, and what she means by that in layman is, and I explained it, oh gosh, a while back when we were going through the very beginning of COVID and this forbearance thing. You as the homeowner, the mortgagee, is paying the mortgage and stops the lender or servicer that you that is carrying that note then has to still make those payments to the investor. Okay. Same concept, but now she, Jade, is the actual investor that still has to make those payments regardless of whether she receives payment on them. Exactly. So so there's pros and, and cons and to both. Exactly. So for me, rentals are my favorite. Again, I have kids. Now if I were older, I didn't have any kids and I just wanted to go cash flow and live in Fiji for the rest sure. of my life. Owner finance would probably be the way to go. You eliminate your maintenance costs. You eliminate um, all of the over overseeing that you have to do on some of these rental properties. So, you know, situations dictate, you know, what you end up doing as an investor. So Very true. Yeah. Very true. So let's go back. I'm going to take it back a little bit. Okay. okay. So you went your first investment. You utilized someone else's funds in regards to a mentor, all that good stuff. And then after you fell, fell flat, what there was a method that you were using, and I want your take on it. It's the Burr method. The Burr method? Yeah. The buy, renovate, uh, buy, renovate, re- rent, refinance, repeat. There you go. Yeah. So tell us about that. So that's what we utilize now. Okay. Um, it's, and be- this is something that anyone can do, yes? 
Yeah, for the most part. So there's two, uh, two different pieces to this puzzle is what I always tell people. You've got your front end portion. So I utilize hard money first and okay. then I re, uh, buy it discounted. I rent or I, um, how did I lose train of thought like that? I refurbish it. No, I renovate, renovate it. it. Thank you. Renovate it. I was like, is she thinking of an R word? Yes. You got a whole bunch. <laughs> the whole part of the burr. <laughs> so I buy it, I renovate it. And so that's my first portion. So I use hard okay. money to do that. Right. Then once I'm done renovating it, I refinance into a traditional loan, which okay. is going to then take my interest down to anywhere between, you know, four to six percent, mm-hmm. depending on the time and sure. all of that uh, loan to value and whatnot. You can talk to them about that. So this and then this this portion is where where you would come in, right? Right. So then you refinance with a traditional lender who can drop your interest rate, and then at that point, um, these are interchangeable. You can either refinance and then rent it out, or you mm-hmm. can rent it out and then refinance and then refinance. Um, but what that allows you to do is it allows you to gain equity one. Uh-huh. So equity is huge. Correct. Um, and that's what I'm taking out right now out of these properties, all that equity, I'm taking that out in order to, uh, deploy that into new deals, which are then going to cash flow me more. So it allows you to, uh, to increase the amount of equity that you have in that deal, which then allows you to decrease the amount of uh, cash out of pocket. Now, because when you refinance, the lender is going to give you an, a certain amount based upon what the value of the home is worth, right? Correct. Yep. So anywhere from 75 to 80, 80% of the value of the home. But because you bought it discounted on the front end, when you refinance, you've got enough equity. So it alleviates you having to put that 20% down. So now my cash out of pocket is minimal. I've got a ton of equity in the deal. And my I'm going to cash flow even greater on it because my principal balance is so low. So my principal interest taxes and insurance are going to be so low Versus what I'm going to be able to rent it out for. So now I'm making money in every aspect of this transaction. In every aspect. And then you're taking those funds, leveraging it over and buying more properties. Exactly. So I own this property. I think we bought it three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, I think my cash out of pocket on this deal was like six grand. Um, refinance it into a, tr- tr- into a traditional One loan. of those two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever that is. And uh, I did not have to bring money to closing because there was so much equity in the deal. So, you know, two and a half years ago, six grand out in, on this deal. Um, I cash flow about 350 a month. Um, I've had one, maybe two maintenance calls on this home. But because I renovated it before I rented it out, Pretty much everything was new. So I take care of the mechanicals up front. So new HVAC system, new roof, make sure your plumbing is good. All of those key elements to um, the maintenance, Mm -hmm. right, are taken care of on the forefront. So two and a half years ago, six grand out of pocket, cash flowing $350 a month. I've already received my money back on this deal. Now I've got about $80,000 in equity on this, especially with the inflated cost. That's if I don't get over asking for it. So then I'm going to sell it, make that 80 grand, you know, net out whatever the the costs are. My husband's a realtor, so we save money there. Same. Yeah. Same here. (laughs) So I got the perks. I know a guy. (laughs) And then then I'll put that into a 1031 exchange, meaning I don't have to pay taxes on it. And then buy three more houses with it. So now instead of making 350, I'll make, you know, $900. Correct. In addition to all of those things that you put into this property, you can put them on your Schedule C, your S-Corp, whatever it is absolutely. that you're filing. And those, those it's not a loss. I mean, that is absolutely coming from your cost basis of everything. Um, so, 
So that helps offset your taxes. Ding, 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 ding. She just gave you a a million dollar uh, nugget for six grand. Boom. You know, it just continues to yeah. give and give and give if you don't give up. Right. Uh, I think once you start the cycle, you've got to continue to keep that moving forward. Right. You know? Right. So it's not a one and done. This right. is something that you consistently have to work at. I mean, we've been doing this for years, right? Sure. It's something that you have to wake up every single day. And now this is not to say that there hasn't been fire. Again, I'm the fireman, right? So go. it's like every day you're putting out some type of fires, but you have to figure out what your end goal is going to be. And for me, it's to be able to own a portfolio of homes, pass something down to my daughters, and to just be able to pay down all my debt and just cash flow. And that's that's it. I want to travel with my kids, um, allow them to do whatever sports. My, you know, gymnastics. Absolutely. Yep. Gymnastics is a whole mortgage, <laughs> sure I'm telling is. you. It sure is. <laughs> so I always tell them each one of my houses pays for something different. So Pretty much our whole life is paid for just from our rental properties. So I like that. Living on residual based on the work that you're putting in. Exactly. And but it. you have to keep putting in that work to continue to grow. I, so. so that being said, and there's no doubt that you are educated, um, where are you getting this? It's not just life experience, because you can't, I mean, you can only learn so much through life experience. There's some other things that have to go into the brain to be able to make those decisions the right way. Where are you getting your 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 stuff from? Where are you getting your sauce? So I have a mentors. Okay. Um, I have three great mentors. Um, they're all, and it's, I love older people. If you just sit down and just talk to people that are older, especially seasoned investors, they have so much knowledge to be able to give. So I call him my best friend. He's 90 years old and we have lunch, you know, uh, bi-weekly and we just talk about investments and what he's doing and how he became a millionaire and he invests in a lot of our stuff. And um, being able to pick up those nuggets along the way have been tremendously helpful. And then figuring out as I go. So I'm very type A, right? Mm -hmm. So very analytical to every aspect of anything that I do, but I think that also helps me understand in depth. So sometimes it's annoying. I can be annoying <laughs> because I'm like, well, how does that work? And my husband hates telling me stories because whereas a normal person, you can tell them, I walked down the road with my dog. We crossed the street and it was a great day. And I'm what like, what are you wearing? What was this? But how, how fast did you walk? And, and what did, what was around you? And like, in like yeah. the entire story, I, that's just how I work. And Absolutely. so- I think just doing all of these new things and they're calculated risks, but just jumping into new aspects of things and figuring out what I like and what I don't like. And, and the intricacy of each exit strategy has allowed me to grow my own knowledge. Um, and I have not hired a mentor since then. It's just my, my, well, I my mean, friends. You, you, you mentioned <laughs> the friends or the mentors, and mm-hmm. we always hear that surround yourself with those that mm-hmm. you want to become. Um, it, and I'm an advocate for getting advice, but don't get advice from somebody that tried. Right. Get advice from somebody that has done it. It's or a yes. completely different perspective. Everybody else that has not completed whatever it is that you're seeking. Exactly. Kick them, not kick them to the curb, but just tune that out. They're going to give you all the reasons why they didn't get it done. But really, the reason is they gave up. Or the period. gurus. I mean, you could, you could, you know throw a pebble and it would hit another real estate guru. They're, they're everywhere, right? So those are also what you need to avoid. Especially with social media. Especially with social media. Portray that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Social media is so, it's so easy to create this facade of like who you want to be when in reality, you know, if you, if your goal is to own a home and own a portfolio of homes and be an investor, then 
don't learn from somebody who hasn't done that yet. And it sounds like an easy concept, but you'd be surprised at how many people get roped into these online gurus that talk about making, uh, you know, $100,000 a month. And you just have to be realistic. That's so right. Learn from people. I'm always trying to surround myself with people that are doing more than I'm currently Likewise, doing. Absolutely. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. And, and somebody had, I think it was the second show that we did, but it's about getting into rooms that you wouldn't normally find yourself in. Yep. How do you get to the table that different conversations are actually being held? Right. You know, and, and each time you do, you're meeting new people. You're elevating what mm-hmm. you know to be true because we only know what we know mm-hmm. until we know. Right. Um, so it, it's it's exciting. And I think that's one of the things that drives me. I can see it in you is is the, the thirst for that knowledge, the mm-hmm. ability to set out and accomplish something. And getting uncomfortable. Oh my like gosh. Like that's yes. huge is, is you have to get uncomfortable in order to go to the, imagine you like being in a room and you've got like, 10 sheets of paper and behind all of those 10 sheets is your end goal. Like Mm -hmm. you have to, you don't know what's on the other side of it, but you just have to run and break through it. And it's scary. So scary. But until you break through that, that's how you get to the next part and then the next part. And so getting uncomfortable is something that I had to learn how to do, but it's changed everything about everything I do. I, well, I mean, I can tell that. Have you ever done a podcast before anything like this? Um, no, I mean, maybe once or twice. Zoom calls, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting out of your comfort zone. You're doing this, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost a challenge and challenge to yourself. Like, I believe I can do this and it's scary to me, but mm-hmm. regardless, I'm going to do it. Right. I'm going to push past it. I'm, I'm going to go through that uncomfort, uh, uncomfortable uh, moment mm-hmm. that all of a sudden you get past it super quick and you go, Mm-hmm. Okay, wait a minute. That's like public I'm here speaking. Now. Yeah, yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, public speaking. I remember when I did my first public speaking, um, I wanted to throw up. It was so embarrassing. I remember going up there and I just blanked out. I just, I didn't remember anything. And it was all older people. You know, I was 23, I think, at the time. So just so insecure. And um, I totally just farted all over the stage. Like, That's awesome. That's awesome. I just, I couldn't remember anything. I just walked off and they Somebody were like, said, you stink. And you were, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And they did like the slow clap. Like everybody was just so confused. And so you just, you have to just push yourself to continue to get uncomfortable until you get good at it. Yeah. And then you move on to the next thing that you're not great at and then you just grow. So your husband, you've mentioned him multiple times throughout. And, and I work closely with my wife, um, hand in hand with different projects, things of that nature. What's that like? I mean, I from what I'm hearing, um, give me raw. What what's that like? It's it's got its benefits and it's hard sometimes, but it's also great because yeah. you get to you get to work with your best friend. I mean, my Agree. husband is my best friend in the whole world. Like I love him so much. Um, and we're so different. Again, very literal, type A. And yeah. then he's just like this free thinker, like, we could do this. And I'm like, hold up. No, we can't. <laughs> I think he and I would get along. <laughs> Y'all would probably make million dollar ideas. And then I'd figure out like, well, technically. Um, Here's all the holes. Of course, yes. I'd find every hole that was wrong with <laughs> that's it. <awesome. laughs> so that's how a lot of our days go is like, let's do this. Oh, wait. No, according to my calculations, we can't. So um, it's good because it keeps us both grounded yeah. and it, we complement each other in different aspects. It's hard sometimes because you know, you have a terrible day at the office and then you have to go home and still be parents and husband and wife. Sure. So you have, you have all of that. And, 
But at the end of the day, you're building this together. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the full picture, like, you know, after a long week of just, again, fighting fires, right? Sure. The long week and you, you take a time during the weekend and you're just looking at your kids and you're looking at everything that you built together and you're like, wow, like, high five, we did this together. That's right. So, you know, the good always outweighs the bad and it's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. I think for for us and I actually met my wife through work back in the day, um, but going through the decision process of making deals happen, of coming to terms with what it needs to be in order to make X or whatever the case, um, it's super nice knowing that no matter what decision she's making or I'm making, it's for the us. Yes. It's for the, they didn't do it maliciously. They didn't do it with their own intentions or anything right. like that. And I think that is how we grow so quickly yeah. because we know that both sides. You can trust. Absolutely. Yeah. We're in it for the same overall goal, which yeah. is our family and our legacy. Yes. Yeah, so you're not worrying about a partner that could potentially backstab you. you. This go. is your life partner that you're growing something for your family. That's right. Half so. is mine anyway. What are you worrying about? <laughs> Even if you leave me, <laughs> yeah, I still right. get 50%. So this is looking great. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah I love it. It's, it's It's been quite the journey, overcoming everything and. So, so with the flipping properties, all of that good stuff, um, where, where do you, where do, where do you see yourself? I know you had painted the, I want to be on a beach in Fiji while everything's paying for itself. Mm -hmm. How far out is that goal? Is that obtainable? I know I'm not, you're not going to stop till you get there, but realistically, what, what is the game plan on that? Sometimes I don't even know if we'll stop when you're in there. Like, I feel like I'm a workaholic, right? Like, oh my God. It, it, it reminds me of years ago, my husband and I were walking through the mall and I remember this was probably six years ago, walking through La Cantera. There we are, right? What? And it, there was this stove in the, in the, in the mirror. The, the, do you know which stove I'm talking about? There was this badass stove. Where? It was amazing. It was in the, the uh, kitchen section of that one store. I don't know what they're called. I don't okay. Know. Yeah. Anyways, I remember walking through and my husband was like, when we make $150,000, we're going to buy that stove. And then we made $150,000 and we didn't buy the stove. And then then I was like, when we make $200,000, I'm going to buy myself a Louis Vuitton because I've never bought myself expensive purses. Yeah. Then we made $200,000 and I never bought the Louis Vuitton. So it's just you continuously hit these points. And sometimes you don't even realize you've hit all of your goals until you look back and you're like, wow, okay you, you just look at your progress. Yeah. So my goal is a, a five to seven year plan. Um, we don't have any debt. Ex- we have leased vehicles that are business expenses. Okay. Yep. So really the only debt we have is just our home. And then the principal balances on our mortgages. So, um, so we, I mean, we live off of that already. Hopefully so th- a credit card that you run everything through and get a ton of points. Like Southwest I card. Okay, we get good. free mileage. I got the companion just pass. Saying. Absolutely. I recommend learn that from my 90-year-old best friend. There you go. Great tip. So um, so our goal from five to seven years is to have everything paid off. I want to be able to keep those rentals. And if we do sell them, we can always defer them, mm-hmm. um, but have all of those paid off. So the, the money that we get from our rentals, I want to deploy that into paying off the principal balance, increase our rents, live everything debt-free, which some people are like, debt-free, why would you want to do that? But it's something that I just want to do. Sure, sure. So that's our goal: is to pay everything off, be able to travel, just cash flow, um, 
and, and do that. So within five to seven years, um, that's our goal. That's a pretty solid goal. And I mean, you're on the track. I mean, everything that you're saying um, not only sounds good, but it is the truth. Um, and you're living it. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So a couple more things that I, I want to touch on is you had mentioned um, the ability to purchase something, but not doing it. And I'm the same way to a certain extent. Um, and here's kind of where it, it differs. I like to be able to buy whatever. I mean, you see that somebody's, oh, I like that car or that purse or what have you. I like to be the guy knowing that I can, but I don't need to. Exactly. I, I'm over what people think. If I'm doing something, yes. it's for me and the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have bad, have expensive habits like cars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. But social media almost makes it to the point where it's um, discouraging for me to put things like that. Um, whereas people would think that it's a flex, whereas it's, this is just normal life. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? How, how do you take social media or are you actually playing it and using it to your advantage? What you see is what I want you to see, or this is transparency myself. I'm super transparent on the social yeah. media thing. So I think that I flexed way more when I didn't have what I have now. Okay. So I, I think that before I had everything that I have now and we hit the goals that we've hit. I remember when I made $100,000 a year, I, I remember flexing on on social media and sure. being like, you know, the subtle like, yeah, but they could see the 100K at the end of my P&L sheet yeah. kind of thing, right? We were, we're way past that now and I would never do that. And for me, like if you look at my outfit right now, this is from Old Navy. I bought this three years ago. This is from Nordstrom Rack. I paid like $19 for it. Like none of my stuff is expensive. If I like it and I look good and I feel good, I do it. I've never bought myself an expensive purse, although I still haven't bought myself the Louis Vuitton. Go get your Louis. Never. I just, but it's so funny because once you hit that and you are able to buy it, it's less exciting. That is very true. Like, I will agree 100% with that statement. Why would I spend $1,500 on a bag? That is true. Now, here's another concept, Okay. There are three things that I actually will spend money on, but I spend them meticulously in the sense my pens. I always have the best pen. That's unique. Okay. Okay. My watches. Okay. And my cars. Okay. Well, three, four houses. All four of those things don't lose value if you buy them right. The pens included. Included. I'm not joking. <laughs> I mean, the shoes, the from the belt, everything you're seeing here. Matter of fact, didn't you say Old Navy? Old Navy. I mean... <laughs> I don't care where They've it comes from. I make this shit look good. Right. But at the same time, I know what I'm putting my money into. Mm-hmm. And in worst case scenario, this is still worth 500 bucks. The pen Do is you get what I mean? going to hold value. So I'm the same way, but in different things. So okay. my thing is, is vacations. Like I love that. Yeah. When I travel, I stay at the nicest resorts possible. Like I do the whole shebang, right? Like that. That's my thing, right? Um, um, going, I guess mine is more experiences and houses. Okay. So for me, bags, clothes, like name brand stuff doesn't, it just, to me, I, I don't get anything out of it. it. It's not important to me. I don't care to impress you. Like if I feel good, then I'm great. It, I have lost that desire to impress people sure. with materialistic items. Now, will I go drop, uh, you know, a thousand dollars for a Spurs game courtside? 
Hell yeah. Will I, I will yeah. I go and stay at the nicest you resort? Let me know next time. I'm a season ticket holder. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we are, now. <laughs> yeah, we were too. And so it's like those are the things I enjoy, the things that give me experiences and and that I can enjoy with people that I care about versus the materialistic things like fifteen hundred bucks for a bag that everybody can look at me and think I'm so cool for carrying. Yeah. Like, I'd rather I bought this. From Dillard's in the nobody's maternity gonna section. Yeah, nobody's going to see it. <laughs> it's so, so handy. So you, you, I think you answered my question that I was going to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Since you're not into the materialistic things, um, we know you're successful. What, how do you reward yourself? And I think it was more experiences, more trips, mm-hmm. more family-oriented, uh, more, like you said, experiences, once-in-a-lifetime type situation. Is there Traveling, anything yeah. else that gives you... Um, I don't know. Like for me, and this may sound strange, anytime I want to step my game up, I go and rearrange everything. Oh my God. I do the same you, thing. Okay, am I, I'm not I just the only redid one. The, I bought new office desks. Okay. And for some reason that checked off a box in my because I'm a, my my brain is like a checkbox. And for some reason that checked off a box in my brain. I'm That's like, right. I feel great now. All of a sudden you're like, level up. <laughs> Let's work. <laughs> like awesome. I bought a new rug. Like the dumbest things. Like <laughs> Yes, my workspace, for yeah. sure. Like, I'll rearrange stuff and get a new, like, feel of it. Or I mean, the, the, the desks were, like, 40 bucks each. But, yeah, like, not a big deal, but you know what? Checked it off. Okay, feel move great now. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And, and it's it. very true. Uh, I don't know if it's just us, but that is I mean, very true. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's the weirdest things. But other than, like, traveling or experiences, it, my kids, like, I— I'm very involved with my kids. So, like, for me, the majority of my money is spent— on them and their um, either their academics or it sounds so silly, but their sports. Like I throw so much money into their sports. Like gymnastics is so. Oh, I'm right there with. I'm like right there if with my you. if her coach is listening to this right now, like I pay a lot of money. So that and then the traveling for gym. So I pour a lot of money into that, and that makes me feel good because it's something that I can watch grow. Yeah, and it's something that I'm seeing my money work to a benefit of versus just buying something materialistic that's going to sit here. Like I'm pouring money into um, helping them get to that next level and whatever it is that they're passionate about. So for one, it's gymnastics and the other it's soccer. Um, So that's my thing. Well, I mean, that leads to something else since thus far we're very similar Um, between you and your husband and my wife and myself. We're it's, it's kind of crazy, but I want to talk about raising your children. Mm-hmm. Myself, um, I'll talk about my wife first. My wife was raised, I'm not going to say sheltered or anything like that, but she was an only child. Um, and it wasn't as transparent of, of growing up. Uh, she, she learned how finances work, things of that nature after she graduated college. Whereas myself, the FAFSA form for college, my dad was like, here, fill this out. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, where are your taxes? Give me your taxes. I mean, it, it was that transparent. Um, and we've adopted that moving forward with our kids, which is be as transparent as possible, but also explain. Explain yeah. as much as you can, even though they don't get it yet, at least they can start connecting the dots sooner than most. Yeah. What are you, what's your take on that? I think my husband and I are very similar in the way that we parent, which works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you already know my history growing up. So everything was like, you just figure it out as you yeah. go. But I wasn't taught about finances or anything like that. Like I I was, when I was 18 or 19 years old, I had like a 400 something credit score. Like my credit score was terrible. Yeah, I didn't, you didn't know, know what it was. I didn't know anything about, I, I 
worked up all these. So anyways, um, our take on parenting is very much of, uh, you have to have responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like we're big on responsibility. Every morning they have, they all have chores around the house. Um, teaching them about money is huge for us. So we have, um, I do like baggies for them. So they are, they earn allowance and they have a checking and they have a savings and they're clear so that they can see the money grow. Sure. So my thing is when they get paid, whether it's birthday money or allowance money, any type of money that they get, I give them the money and I set them down and I say, okay, let's count your money first. Now you have an option. You can either put money into checking account Mm -hmm. and it is what it is, or you can put the money into a savings account and I'll double it, but you can't touch the savings account has to sit there and you can watch it grow but you can't use it. So it's teaching delayed gratification. Absolutely. So when they first started, it was like checking, checking, checking. And after a while they realized, okay, like this is great and all, but let's, you know, savings mom, give me 50%. Yeah. So that's a a concept right there. Right. So watching it grow, you know, and it's similar with investing. Absolutely. You don't get to reap the rewards of your rental property immediately. Like, no, you watch that money grow. Sometimes it's a slow drip too. Absolutely. (laughs) It's a process and you have to learn how to, how to allow that to happen. So um, that's one thing we've done quite a bit on teaching them about money and delayed gratification and learning to allow your money to grow and not spend it on frivolous things. Agree. Um, so that's huge learning the responsibility aspect of things and then putting them into, I'm big on sports because that is a huge way that kids can, uh, experience, I don't want to say failure, but opposition and overcoming things like, especially in gymnastics. Yeah. It is a constant, like when you get into the competitive side of things, it's a constant battle against your mind and yourself. And I grew up playing sports. Uh, My dad's a coach, the whole nine yards. And what I tell others is sports is more than just winning and losing. Absolutely. I mean, it teaches you discipline. It teaches you camaraderie. It teaches you, there's just so many routines, uh, habits, so many things that go into just sports because each sport in particular, whether it's gymnastics or football or soccer, Mm -hmm. they all have their own parameters and things that they there are winners and losers. Right. You don't just do a sport to right. just do a sport. Right. You know, so there's a goal at the end that you get that gratification, but all the while, all those things to get there, you, you have learn. to work. That's exactly And you have right. to work for it. It's something, it's one of the few things in life that you, you have to physically work for. And if you mm-hmm. don't work at your craft, you're not getting to the next level. Oh, and so we're, true. we're big on like not doing participation trophies. So like if you amen, didn't win, sister, amen. If you didn't win. You didn't win. Just try harder on the next one. It, you know, and I always tell my, my daughter who's in gymnastics and in soccer, if you didn't win a game or you didn't win first place. Well, guess what? Maybe the other girls worked extra hours. So you just have to put in that extra work. Maybe you need to eat healthier. Maybe you need to work out extra, or maybe you need to change little things when you're like, you have to figure out how to get yourself to that next level so that you can achieve the goals that you want to achieve. So my son got his first participation trophy this past uh, season. And as we're walking to the car, I probably handled it a little rough, but (laughs) I took it from him. Yes. Okay. And I told him, son, you played, but you guys didn't win. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he started to kind of tear up. And my daughter took the conversation over and enlightened him. 
And, and it just essentially what she explained, what I was going to explain is, hey, there's winners and losers and you work hard. This this is not as valuable as you think it is. Right. It's nice and shiny and you feel good for getting it. But what did you do to earn it? It devalues the actual opportunity to win something. If you give everybody a participation trophy, then what's, what is it worth working so hard to be able to earn that goal? So what's happening with our world? Exactly. And that's why there's so much of this instant gratification type of mindset because we are essentially bred to be able to get whatever we want when we want it. You can put a little bit of work in and get the same trophy that the guy who worked 10 extra hours than you. That's right you know, worked for. And let's see if you you think the same way as I do. And and I mean, this podcast doesn't go all over the place. So only who that hear this are going to hear this. But I actually think it's not that bad of a thing that everybody is wanting these participation trophies in some way, shape or form of our everyday life like we're doing. Why? Because it leaves more opportunity for those that know the real deal. I agree. In that sense, because it almost makes it easier to continue to thrive. Amen. But then sometimes you look at it and you're like, That's sad. Wake up. Yeah, it's Wake sad. up. Like, you can do this too. And it goes back to the beginning of the podcast where you asked me, do you think it's something that you have to have or mm-hmm. is it something that's learned? But no, I think, I truly believe that everybody's born with the ability to accomplish something in life. Like, I think everybody has, everything, everybody's born with unique talents. Yeah. And, it's so sad that probably only 10 to 15% of people actually get to experience what their talent and, and their blessing truly is. I agree. So with my kids, I'm not going to, I want them to be able to push. And if five years down the road, gymnastics, not it, at least I know that she's pushed herself to be able to understand what she likes and doesn't like, and to be able to have that mindset of consistently working towards something and not giving up. I agree. I mean, so, the first step is wanting to. Right. Um, what drives you to want to? I don't know. But like I said in, in the past, it could be a major downfall that that took place. It could be a mentor. It could be um, someone in your life that you're looking up to. Who knows? But whatever it is, leech on, latch onto it and, and ride onto that and take everything that you possibly can with you so that whatever situation that occurs, you've got that toolbox of stuff that you've experienced or heard somebody that has actually done it uh, that you can use um, to get through that hurdle or to get through the adversity that you have. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Well, let's see here. How are we doing on time? We're doing fantastic. We could probably talk forever, but uh, I don't (laughs) want to take too much time. Let's see. We've gone over... Just about everything there. Um, talked about how, well, I didn't mention how uh, most investors do fail their first time, especially on flips, because everybody thinks that HGTV, it's easy. Um, and we know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about college. We talked about education by way of experience. Um, we've talked about leverage. We've talked about margins, flips, buy and holds. We've talked about um, the low inventory that there is. So it it leaves opportunity for investors like ourselves that aren't people that um, go out and always change. We also create. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see here. Do you have any other advice for anybody listening in your shoes, wanting to emulate what you're doing? Um, take small actionable steps. So what I always tell people who come to me and they want to, sometimes they just want to right off the cusp be an investor. So 
figure out everybody's situation is different. Everybody's financial situation is different. Everybody's time availability is different. And everybody's goals are different too. So what I always encourage people to do is sit down and evaluate. How much money do I have? How much time do I have? And what is my end goal? And then from there, there's so many different um, exit strategies and and ways to get into real estate investing. They're not all for everybody. So figure that out first. And then from there, you can figure out which strategy to go down. Like for me, when I first got back into it after flopping, I had no money. You know, I I had time because I didn't have a job. So I had the time, but I didn't have the money. And that's why wholesaling worked for me. Now, if I were, you know, somebody that maybe didn't have as much time, but I had the money, I could go into flipping. Or maybe if you're older and you just want to get some cash flow and you have the money, maybe not too much time, you want a rental portfolio, then go that route. But don't just like, don't just go into it without a game plan. Figure out. How about start with the end in sight? Right. And and with your your own um, understanding your own circumstances, and then allowing that to guide you towards what the next step should be. And then utilizing your talents too. Like my biggest thing is my husband calls me the queen of delegating because I'm not great at everything. I'm very, again, very type A. So I'm, I'm great at doing that and creating the circumstances and all the behind the scenes system stuff. But sometimes I'm not great at other things. So learning how to delegate what you're not great at in order to continue to grow. So start somewhere. Take the first step in figuring out based upon your circumstances where you can begin within the multiple fields within real estate. And then as you grow, begin to learn how to delegate things in order to grow further. Absolutely. Um, Jade, thank you. Uh, I think uh, this was a very, very... um, there was so much that was covered in this in this one show. <laughs> um, who knows? I mean, we're going to continue this podcast. I'm not going to stop. So hopefully, maybe in 10 episodes or so, we'll have you back to see yeah. where you are and all that good stuff. Awesome. Um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how how do they do that? So um, on social media, mm-hmm. it's at Jade Flores Real Estate. Okay. And then you can also reach me via email at jflores, flores with a Z, with a Z. not an S. Jay Flores at longhorninvestments.com. So guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, if you like the content, please like, share, subscribe, um, and share it with somebody that you think will um, get some value, get some benefit out of this. Maybe they're starting a business. Maybe they're thinking about starting a business. Maybe they are just scared and tired of what they're doing currently and their uh, goal should be to start a business. You never know. Um, I'm hoping that uh, these conversations with other Uh, millennials that have been there, been through the trenches can help you guys in the future. But until then, see you on the next one.